HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Meet and Three, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. I'm your host and executive director of HRN, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Do you remember the first cookbook you ever loved? I was enthralled by Rose Levy Berenbaum's The Cake Bible when I was little and spent hours going through her gorgeous photos and awesome recipe names like Enchanted Forest, Strawberry Maria, and Chocolate Chestnut Embrace. And those books would hold my attention for hours. Years later, when I was a teenager, my sister gave me a copy of The Best Recipes in the World by Mark Bittman, and I was inspired to learn about world cuisines by cooking at home, and later, that really fueled my plans as I traveled all over the world. That's the real magic of cookbooks. They can transform your home life or take you on a trip a million miles away. October is National Cookbook Month, but we couldn't wait to talk with a couple of our favorite authors— Yes, Rose Levy Berenbaum was in the HRN studio, as well as take a closer look at a cookbook scandal that happened last month. Up first, Liza Hamm stopped by the studio to discuss the latest crop of cookbooks with our resident expert, Kathy Irway, host of Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm so envious, Kathy. You're interviewing cookbook authors uh, uh, all the time for Eat Your Words. Yeah, I mean, each week, I mean, I get such an avalanche of cookbook pitches and like physical books coming my way in the mail. So it's really awesome. I mean, I can't complain. I knew you were the right person (laughs) to speak to for this. So tell me about some of this year's trends. One thing I'm always looking out for just because I'm obsessed with it is international cuisines in one cookbook. So, you know, I love collecting a cookbook for every country in the world. This month, or this season, I should say, it's really exciting because I've seen some cookbooks coming out of cuisines that really haven't been explored too much in cookbooks before. So it's really exciting, and I'm like pleasantly surprised by the diversity of the cuisines shown. Oh, good. Can you select just a few? Is that possible? Uh, okay, so... <laughs> Uh, well, this one is actually more of an American interpretation, but there's Season by Nick Sharma. He is a blogger at A Brown Table, and it's it features his like, unique take on Indian flavors, which he grew up eating. But then there's also Georgia Friedman Wan's Cooking South of the Clouds, which is dedicated solely to the lesser-known cuisine of Yunnan in, in a, a province in China. So I think that's a first for an American cookbook. And there's a cookbook from the chef owners of Jeepney called I Am a Filipino and This Is How We Cook. That's really exciting. I can't wait to get my hands on that one. And then there's um, Israeli Soul. This is the second book from chef Michael Salmanov of Zahav Restaurant. So his first book called Zahav, it won the James Beard Award. 
And, um, you know, he's just a, an amazing chef and restaurateur. Um, this one happens to be about, it, it promises to be about the food of the people in Israel. So it's stuff about like hole-in-the-wall restaurants, home-cooked food by every, everyday people in Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, and also sleepy towns all over Israel. So I think it'll be a great mix of authenticity, but also, um, you know, accessibility, approachability. Should be really great. Awesome. Um, tell me about Israeli food in general. Is that a trend? Yeah. Actually, you know, it's funny you mention that because Israeli food is actually one of the only international cuisines that has had a cookbook in the last five years that made it to like the top 10 best-selling cookbooks of the year. Um, that title was actually Jerusalem by Yotam Adelenghi. And, uh, but yeah, if you look at all the top-selling cookbooks over the years, uh, there's a lot of diet fads, there's a lot of celebrities. Seldom does an international cuisine make it to the top of this list. Do you have any other predictions on what international cuisine might be the next to, to break through? You know, that's a really great question. I don't know the answer, but it's also a question that I think can be a little silly sometimes. I think that it gets asked a lot. And um, I think that, you know, food experts, magazine editors get asked to predict what the next hot international cuisine is. And they generally answer to the best of their knowledge, the best of their hunches. But it always comes out sounding like it's trivializing the cuisine a little bit and sort of trendifying the food of a people who have been, you know, they've been eating this forever. So it's like, oh, we just discovered this. It's on the rise. But, you know, I will mention one cuisine and an upcoming cookbook about this cuisine that I think is really relevant right now in America. And um, yeah, so that's Syrian. Um, Next week, I'm having the authors of a Syrian cookbook called The Bread and Salt Between Us on my show. And this is a book with a mission. It's to help the Syrian refugee uh, community in America. And the author, uh, Mayada Anjari, is actually a Syrian refugee living in America. And all proceeds from this book will go to supporting her family and other refugees as they adjust to their their new homes. So it's it's a wonderful book. It's written, it's co-written by Jen Sitt along with Mayada. And uh, she also co-authored the Senegal books by Pierre Tem, and she was the editor for the Blue Apron cookbook. Both of those have won awards. Um, this book is just going to be fantastic. And are both Mayada and Jen going to be here in the studio next they week? They are next week. So we're going to have them and also the interpreter for Mayada. It's going to be a packed house. It'll be great. Thanks so much for the sneak peek, Kathy, on all things cookbooks. Of course, not all cookbook trends lead to success. Take the cautionary news about Tales from a Forager's Kitchen. The author, Joanna Holmgren, received a publishing deal after the success of her gorgeous Instagram account, Fox Meets Bear. 100,000 plus followers tuned in regularly to devour posts from her idyllic domestic life in the Minnesota woods. Before publication, Holmgren described her cookbook as, quote, a true labor of love filled with imagination, wonder, and recipes made with foraged and earth-grown goods. Some readers gave the book glowing five-star reviews on Amazon, but many called it out for its use of raw morels and elderberries in some recipes. Consuming either can be extremely dangerous. So Rodale, the publisher, and the author issued a press release on August 10th recalling the book and offering full refunds to customers. A few days later, Johanna posted a message on Instagram saying that she was, quote, devastated by the quick collapse of her cookbook project and indicated that the true story was not, quote, what's being printed in the news or by hateful comments by strangers. So what's the takeaway from this story? In today's incredibly changing media landscape, are cookbooks becoming less trustworthy? 
And who's to blame? Publishers? Or Instagram stars with incredible book deals? I don't think the uh, the issue is Instagram necessarily. I mean, there are plenty of really great, fun, uh, quirky, uh, imaginative cookbooks on Instagram. I think the problem is when the subject is something that uh, might lead to someone's uh, health. That's Mark Rotella. He covers the cookbook industry as part of his role as senior editor at Publishers Weekly and host of their PW Insider podcast. So traditionally, the publisher has uh, puts the responsibility, the onus on the writer. Uh, unlike a magazine, uh, unlike a newspaper, when you have you know fact checkers, copy editors, and a team of of uh, people looking over uh, one's work, uh, the the cookbook is or any book is really the responsibility of the author. I actually, I write books as well. Uh, one was Stolen Figs and Other Adventures in Calabria and Amore, the story of Italian-American song. And I hired my own fact checker for that. This is something that came out of my advance. And with, uh, I just want to say with cookbooks, you know, uh, authors hire recipe testers, authors hire uh, photo uh, photographers. Uh, the, uh, the publisher doesn't always do that. That often comes out of the advance. And I think uh, for something like this, for mu- mushroom foraging or for someone writing a health book that could you know, have an effect on one's health, um, it may behoove them to, to hire someone, a fact checker, to, to do exactly that. And you're right. There are plenty of fact checkers out there. Mark believes that the recall may prompt some publishers to spend a little more time backing authors' claims, especially since healthy cookbooks are in demand right now. But he also urges all of us to be even smarter consumers to see who is presenting the information. Do you trust them? Um, Has she or he uh, published books before? What kind of research have they done? And I I think looking at everything skeptically, but to maybe do a little bit of extra research. And of course, we could not end our interview with Mark without asking for a few of his favorite new fall cookbooks. One of my favorite trends I've seen is on soul food. So we have Carla Hall's Soul Food Everyday Celebration uh, coming up. Eddie Hernandez came out with a book. Uh, he's great. Uh, Turnip Greens and Tortillas, a Mexican chef spices up the Southern Kitchen. Virginia Willis has a new cookbook out. One of my favorites this year, Soul uh, by Todd Richards I and mean, what he does with peaches, how he just like puts Georgia peaches into whatever he can. Uh, and that was, that was really a lot of fun. There are probably many reasons why soul food is resonating right now, going back to black roots, but it's also a cuisine that's at the heart of American cooking, the spirit of it, going to locally found foods, hearty foods, comforting foods, like jazz music. It's been a part of American cuisine for for centuries. And if you're still really interested in foraging, Mark has a title for you. One of the biggest ones came out in 2006. It's called A Forager's Harvest, A Guide to Identifying, Harvesting, and Preparing Edible Wild Plants by Samuel Thayer. For a complete list of Mark Rotella and Kathy Irway's cookbook picks for fall, go to heritageradionetwork.org slash list. And speaking of authors we love, meet Souther Teague. He's been a cook at acclaimed restaurants in the South, as well as the research and technical chef for Alton Brown's hit Food Network show, Good Eats. But after moving to New York City, Souther took his immense talent behind the bar. Now he's beverage director at Amoria Margot, 
a seriously great cocktail joint in the East Village, and Wine Enthusiast's Mixologist of the Year. He's also co-host of the HRN show, The Speakeasy, and we're thrilled to report a newly minted best-selling author. My book, I'm Just Here for the Drinks, is five categories of spirits that I really enjoy with sort of a shallow, medium-shallow dive into how it's made, where it's made, rules and regulations on why it's made the way it's made. But before it gets too boring, I back out and I do some anecdotal and confessional bits. As of this recording, I'm number one new releases under Cocktails and Mixed Spirits, which is very humbling. This is Souther's first book, and his methods definitely deserve a shout-out. I'm something of a a Luddite. I don't cotton too well to technology. So uh, even though I have two, well, three now, three businesses and uh, lots of other projects that I have my hands involved in, I don't have a computer. So I wrote the entire book on my iPhone. Or what I really solidified in my own mind is the history of drinking is very blurry. Because people were drinking and no one was taking notes. So to find the origin story of some some things is, is literally impossible. Thankfully, Souther was up to the challenge, and in seven short months, he completed a book that's getting tons of positive reviews. A favorite review called him, quote, one of the most engaging writers in the cocktail realm. And the book, one part essay, one part recipe collection, with a dash of practical magic and a twist of style. But his work clearly isn't done yet. Now Souther is having to get creative about marketing the book. Just when you think it's over, it really begins. Um, So the book came out just recently. And now it's time to sell it. So now, you know, there's no real budget to do a tour for a book like this. But luckily, I have such a reach in my own industry that I've reached out to bar owners and bar operators all over the country. And I've asked them, hey, what would you think if I came out and did a guest shift? So we're tying this into like a guest shift slash book tour for, for I'm Just Here for the Drinks. We asked Souther to share some advice for any aspiring authors listening in. Wait, but don't wait too long. I would just say, wait until you've got a good amassment of knowledge and information that you want to share, but don't wait so long. I feel like I waited too long. I could have written this book, maybe not that nine years ago, but I could have written this book five years ago, and maybe I'd have my, we'd be talking about my second book right now. In fact, Souther is contemplating whether he and his iPhone have a few more books left in them. I think I could write an entire book about rum, and I feel the same way about Scotch whiskey. So those two books could be in, in the pipeline. Um, And then we've got an idea for a book called um, Drinking With My Friends. Souther Teague's first of many books is on sale now, so be sure and belly up to your local bookstore for a copy of I'm Just Here for the Drinks. Finally, we couldn't do a cookbook episode without paying homage to one of the industry's true queens. Rose Levy Berenbaum has been writing and winning awards for her cookbooks since 1981. Her specialty is baking, and the reliability of her recipes remains legendary. The New York Times even called her the most meticulous cook who ever lived. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Rose and Woody Wollston, her assistant and co-writer. Tell us about the first cookbook that you fell in love with and how that influenced your work. Probably the first cookbook I fell in love with didn't influence my work very much at all because it was James Beard. There was a picture of him on the cover and what looked like his intestines underneath it, but it was a whole plate of sausages. And he looked really huge. And I thought, anybody that fat must be a good cook. But I did study with him and I learned a great deal when I did. 
Woody, how about you for your first um, cookbook that you ever fell in love with? Betty Crocker's cookbook. Because <laughs> I did mainly savory back then. So, Well, that's okay, because I was the Betty Crocker homemaker of the year in my high school, so it all worked out just fine. Can you tell us the story of how you came to work with Ruth? Uh, what happened was <clears throat> I had gotten a cake Bible after using uh, Joy of Cooking, and uh, we had a kind of like birthday club. And I would always bring the dessert. And straight out of her book, because they love the chocolate oblivion, I decided to contact her. Uh, this before blogs were out. And contact her website, gave her a couple of questions, and she responded back, and we just started collaborating on by email. But you didn't say how you met me. And the interesting thing is it goes back to Betty Crocker again. <laughs> I oh. was invited to come to General Mills to do a VN... VNR, video news release, for the cookie exchange. And he said, if you ever come to this area, please let me know. And I happened to get that note from him the morning I was leaving. So that's how we actually met in person. And then we went to the local bookstore where he bought two of my other books. And then when he brought the two cakes that he made, I thought they were better than my version. Of course, I have to admit, I hadn't made them for several years, but oh. I was so, no, I was so really impressed because they were perfection. It was the Oblivion and the White Cake, right? Woody, mm-hmm. wasn't it? The White Velvet? White Velvet with mm. the Raspberry Puree, mm. buttercream. So, what's the secret to Rose's longevity? The most important thing of all is the accuracy. With a cake Bible, I dictated the entire book thousand page manuscript into a tape recorder and played it back against the galleys and found tons of mistakes because they used to hire typists by the page and of course they didn't pay very much either so the technology as it is it's a different proofing process so Woody and I read to each other back and forth I'm the reader he's the viewer and then just to be sure he reads and I view and that's how we're hoping to get a really perfect book again. Her new book Rose's Baking Basics aims to please longtime fans, pastry novices, and Instagram addicts. There are 600 photos that capture all the crucial details of the cooking process. It's the first time she offers recipes in a step-by-step style. Having the step-by-steps means that you have much less text. It's not text-heavy. You can have the book right in front of you, and then you see each step and each stage of what it's supposed to be like. Also, I have done a mise-en-place, which means the preparing ahead section right at the top, the way I actually bake. Another reason to love Berenbaum? After 12 books, she never stops trying to find ways to improve each and every recipe. Is so that I, a keep, sneak I keep peek? learning new tricks. <laughs> Rogelach, best cookie, and one of my great breakthroughs. Rogelach has always been perfect, except a little bit not flaky enough and a little bit too tender. And one day, I decided to use the scraps from my pie crust, which is the cream cheese pie crust, and you get the flakiness, taste is everything that it, that I wished it could be. Yeah, the same thing with the angel food cake we came through with the kind of a sense of new way of doing it uh, where usually you will mm-hmm. take the egg whites, stir in the <clears throat> cream of tartar, let that sit a little bit, then froth it up a little bit then start adding sugar and, and Rose found out dump it all in you know, everything and just beat the hell out of it. Well, I discovered also the pavlova that from Australia that you don't need to add the egg, the sugar gradually. That you, if you let it sit for thirty minutes, so it dissolves, and then if you beat it for twelve minutes on high in a stand mixer, it's perfect. You know, so this was such a, a eureka thing. It's clear that these two could talk shop for hours, but I needed to know so much more about one of my food heroes. Like, what first inspired Rose's foray into baking? 
Probably the reason I became interested in sweets is that my mother was a dentist, and so she considered sugar the big enemy, and we had very little of it. Or the most common mistake that cooks make in the kitchen. When people ask me what is the one critical thing that people often overlook when they start baking, it's to... um, to use the recipes, the, to use the ingredients that are specified, not to substitute. It's fine to substitute after you've made it one time and you see what it's supposed to look like or taste like. But if you try substituting right off the bat, who knows what you're going to end up with. How do you think the world of home cooking and baking has changed? Well, it's changed so radically, especially with all that's available on the Internet. It used to be that only professional chefs could get things that really had wonderful flavor for the most part. And people would wonder why they couldn't make it that way at home. It's just that it wasn't available. But now the demand is there, and with the Internet, they can order it from anywhere. Finally, I asked Rose and Woody to recommend some new cookbooks. Her pick, no surprise, is a baking book written by an acclaimed Turkish blogger, Cenk Samazoy. I think it's the most beautiful baking book I've ever seen. And it was so successful in Turkey, I think it's gone into its fourth printing, that it's now in the United States. And the name of the book is The Artful Baker. And he put his heart and soul into this book. I can't imagine a more beautiful book. And the recipes work. Uh, Woody, any recent favorite cookbooks for you? (laughs) Um, I I would say uh, The Food Lab by Serious Eats. Oh, yeah. Another one I bought. Uh, Especially for the sous vide because we've done a lot of that. So bakers, save the date. Rose's Baking Basics will be released on September 25th, or you can get your fix anytime by checking out her blog, Real Baking with Rose. And go to heritageradionetwork.org slash list for a list of all the books mentioned on this podcast. That's it for this week's show. Join us next week for a report from Feast, the food festival in Portland, Oregon. Please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or would just like to say hey, write us at ideas at meetn3.nyc. That's all spelled out. Be the first to know when we post new episodes. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you love what you're hearing, please recommend us to your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks this week to Kathy Irway, host of Eat Your Words, and Souther Teague, co-host of The Speakeasy, as well as Rose Levy-Berenbaum, Mark Rotella, and Woody Wolston. Meet and 3 is produced by Liza Hamm, Hannah Forden, Kat Johnson, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. 